Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Uvaha, Uvaha, which is, of course, Ukrainian for Achtung, Achtung. Eighty years ago today, the Germans occupied Yalta, a city which remains disputed territory to this day. Ukrainian de jure, Russian de facto. Let's not get too deep into that one in the way the Germans didn't get too deep into the Soviet <laughs> Union in the end. And, uh, not in the end. <laughs> not in the end. Thank goodness. I mean, it is, it is. It, do you think they, that the Allies chose Yalta as a way of going, you see, when they, when they had the Yalta conference? Was that a way of going... Well, it must have been the back of the mind. I think. I think mainly it's because it's kind of sort of it's it's a it's a comparatively easy place for them all to get to, isn't it? Yeah, but it and also, it's also, it also a, it's of... a sop to it's sop to 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 sop, Stalin, sop isn't to it? Stalin. Going, okay, so we'll you're always your... having to, yeah, yeah yeah. But it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because it's kind of like the idea that you'd go somewhere the Germans had been. It's quite. It's, that's but think quite... about it. Stalin never goes west, does he? No, no, of course not. No, 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 no. Because he couldn't do that. Because no. that would just be. That would be demeaning, or something, or or, you know, he'd be he'd be wrong-footed, wouldn't he? Yeah. Anyway, welcome to We Have Ways to Make You Talk. We're starting to hit our stride now as we approach our four hundredth episode, James. Four hundred, four hundred, four hundred hours of war waffle. I mean, who'd have thought that the second, who'd have thought the Second World War would have you know this much juice in the lemon, so to speak? Well, well, I would have done, but um, you know, well, I would have done too. I'm more, I'm more thinking about our stamina. And our, our staying power. I mean, it's a bit like I think being like, sent overseas in 1940, not coming back till 44. It's our listeners' stamina that I, I'm concerned for, James. <laughs> you, and I, you know you and I. <laughs> yeah, we're quite happy, aren't wang, we? Wang, wang, wang and a bite about this <laughs> until the heat death of the universe. It's our listeners that, um, you know, who are very patient. Anyway, um, by the way, on, on Thursday, it's Remembrance Day, and we're putting together a very special episode featuring many people you've chosen to commemorate. It's a really lovely reflection of the community that's grown up around the podcast. So thank you to everyone who got in touch and sent us their stories. Also, Family Stories is returning. Which, um, we did in the Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, we did in the spring. Uh, if you're not, not familiar with that uh, format, basically we, we, you send in your family stories. We collate them, edit them, uh, and we have a new collection now. So to, do please send your own family stories to us. The best place to send them is onto the patreon site which is patreon.com slash we have ways we have a tab for family stories which already has 192 fascinating and moving recollections that's amazing of and isn't it it is incredible it is amazing it is. i mean it is amazing the little sort of community that's sort of sprung up around this i'm 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 yeah i, I get collared 
a lot, I have to say. Well, no, not collars the, the wrong word. I get, I get, I get stopped, and people say that they're listening to it, and you know, odd things at oh, cricket I... matches. The other day in Malta, someone, someone stopped me and said, you know, listening to the pod. Well, I get... it's lovely. I sort I of get the so thumbs nice. up. Yeah. That's how. So I sort of get the thumbs up off people who've who've enjoyed it. And, well, and, to be fair, I don't I get mean, that other... many people coming stopping me and going. I oh, listen to that. We have ways. It's crap. I mean, well, yeah, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. No, it's obviously a self-selecting um, audience of people with incredible taste. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, it is fascinating, though. We have all these stories. Um, and keep them coming, please. You can always email them to us if you're not, um, uh, if you're not part of the Patreon, if you're not interested in the Patreon. Um, and that's uh, We Have Ways Podcast. Um, uh, spell it like it sounds. We Have Ways Podcast at gmail.com. Um, uh now, last week we endeavoured to answer a bunch of your questions um, from your emails, and we managed two. I suspect we're not going to manage um, that much more today because we've got quite a lot yeah, to talk there's about. There's other stuff because you, you've, be, you've, you've been busy writing, haven't you? Yeah, I have, and I and I sort of um, I, I I've got stuck into the into two questions, um, uh, one of which is like officer selection and how it how it changed during the Second World War. It's really really interesting. During the First World War, obviously, what happened is the army went ah god. We can't get enough officers. There aren't enough public school boys or grammar school boys in the world to to officer a five million man army. It's impossible. Yeah. And and so by the end of the First World War, they they gave up on you know just relying on on the, the right sort of chap. And you had a thousand people who'd been coal miners who were officers in the in the by the end of the First World War. Yeah. Which I think is really 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 interesting. Then after the war, obviously, the, 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 there's a um, an attempt to democratise the army in the wake of the First World War. Because after all, you know, the British state's gone democratic as a result of the First World War. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, and uh, uh, which is quite clearly not to the taste of people in the army. Right. And um, and they're, they're made to reform and they don't really see it through. So by the start of the Second World War, 90% of officers are public school and 10 schools dominate. Right. And they are? Well, I mean, Wellington, you know, Marlborough, Marlborough, you know, all the, you know, all the, all the, all the places you'd expect, yeah. right? And 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 you know, and 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 so it goes. It's the 1930s. Then obviously the Second World War comes, and they try and re- they try and reform it. But if you ha- if you'd been in a in a officer um, university OTC officer training cadet thing, you, when you joined up, you were um, you were immediately you were immediately put at the front of the queue for a commission. Right. If you'd been um, if you'd been to a, a school one, um, you were put sort of second in line for a commission. And these men were barracked separately as well. Yeah. Right? So so you've got there's a problem there. Right. Because if the idea is the idea is that everyone will, you know, that everyone all gets to know each other and then you pick the officers out. So at least they know what the ordinary man's like. Yeah. Your average soldier's like. That's not going to work if you're barracking people separately. And they, and again, they run out. They run out of people. There's an amazing story. And this is all I found. All this in um, uh, that book we talked about, um, David French's book, um, uh, "Raising Churchill's Army," which we talked about on the live cast uh, this yes. week. But there's another book, Alan Allport's book, which is amazing. Brown off, off the bloody, bloody mind. Well, we should get him on at some point, shouldn't we? Oh, it's so good. And well, he's just written. Yeah, he's here. just written. That, you know, he's in the middle of a two-parter, isn't he? The Britain at Bay. He's just done. But this book is amazing, and he tells this incredible story about how accents. <clears throat> you'd get in front of the. You'd get in front of the um, of the the board. You know, for officer selection, and if you had the right accent, you'd go through. So Leslie Phillips, right? You know, yes. ding dong, I say. I say. Right? 
You're he right, goes man, through, he you? sails through his pre-OCTU OCTU interview, um, Officer Cadet Training Unit. He sails through the interview because although he was a Tottenham factory worker's son, this is this is straight from Alan's book, although he was, even though he was a Tottenham factory worker's son, because stage school elocution lessons had equipped him with a pitch-perfect simulacrum of a patrician accent, nobody would have guessed that I'd never been at Radley, Harrow or Wellington. Is that, <laughs> I have to make it, well, I just assumed he'd been at Radley, Harrow or Wellington. No. No, it's because he invented himself as an actor. Well, and, why not? and you just think that's just absolutely brilliant. Anyway, so then, so obviously they can't get enough people. And also, you've got, you've also essentially got sort of massive institutional inertia on this. That the, the, the people at the OC2U are all picking chaps like themselves or they think like themselves. And there's just not, they can't get the numbers. So in 1942, and one of the, you know, great unsung heroes of the war, which is the Adjutant General, Adam. He and he is Eton. He is old guard. He is the he is the thing, and it's really really interesting because he's the thing that they're trying to slough off the army. Yeah, he's that person. Yeah, but he's smart enough to know. So he creates the General Service Corps and then the War Selection War Office Selection Board. And what happens at the GSC is when you join the army, they evaluate you. Yeah, and they evaluate everybody, and then they pick the then they then they send the people who think are good enough for um uh, for officer selection to the War Office Selection Board send them on and then they do like a two three day psych evaluation and tests and stuff and then they pick the people that they send to OCTU and the fail rate collapse you know falls away at the OCTU and suddenly it's not all public school guys it's it's yeah. people from all over from all classes so I mean you know so it, dem- it dem- democratizes the offer class officer class so at the sharp end people of all classes have the opportunity to die at a subaltern rate than, than, <laughs> rather than <laughs> so you know yeah. uh, it, it's very sweet of the army I to mean, open the opportunity I out do to, remember to everybody's sons the, there were massive pockets of resistance to, to modernity in the oh. 1930s and i remember that i remember the um, the royal scots greys who then became the royal scots dragoon guards um, yeah. You know, of the famous charge of Waterloo and all the rest of it. They wrote yeah. an open letter to the Times in 1937 or 1938 yeah. when their horses were being taken away with them and they're about to become mechanised in outrage. Yeah. 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 Well, the ar- and the army's, but the army's full of people mm-hmm. who, um, who can't, who can't cope with modernity. And you, well, Richie uh, Hook and, and, and so, people like that, isn't it? Well, and also, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and Adam, Adam also, Adam's also set, sends down the line. He says, no more bullshit. You can't emphasise old peacetime bullshit of Blanco and um, you've got civilian army and you've got stuff to do now because yeah. all those things are born. All those things are born of what on earth do we do when there's no actual soldiering to do, when there's no fighting to do. All those sort of basically ways of using up time and giving men things to do. And lots of battalions, lots of, and it's battalion commanders generally, old school ones, resist and won't, and won't dial back the bullshit. And it causes all sorts of problems. It's really, really... Really interesting, and you've got this officer class who think that the men of the ninety, the, the, the men they've got who grew up in the nineteen thirties, you know, that they're. Um, I mean, there's actual grumbles that go all the way. Secretary of State of War at one point complains about pansydom. He says that they're soft, they're soft-handed. They've had, they've had welfare. You know, they've been helped out by the state. They're they're used to being entertained because they go to the cinema, and they're not as tough as their dads, and they're not going to be as tough as. Well, that all sounds familiar, isn't it? Well, well, isn't that just that's just that's just what people always say, isn't, isn't it? it? Well, I mean, don't don't fancy this generation if there's a war. Yeah, and Churchill as well. He he after Singapore, he's going. He's going. What's wrong with our lads? Why won't they hang on? What's wrong with our people? Yeah, are they wet? Are they not? They're not as tough as their fathers. And it's really interesting that that runs 
all the way to the top. And, and Churchill, at the same time, of course, is dragging his heels about social reform at home, which in the end, via the beverage port, is one of the things that unlocks yes. the what we're fighting for problem. Yep, yep, yep. And it's really, really interesting because you've got a whole gen- all that generation of people going, oh, they're all wet and they're soft-handed and they're no use to us and we can't get them to fight like their fathers did in a sort of unquestioning, doughty way, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, these politicians are resisting doing the thing that, in the end, unlocks that problem. Yeah. You know. Uh, I, I but it's fascinating, I, I isn't it? Because I, this is exactly what yeah. sort of the sort of honour trilogy is all about, isn't it? I mean, ooh, a, a part ooh. of it. It's, a, it's the changing yeah, of, the, yeah. of the order, the ancien regime going yeah. out and incoming the new and lots of sort of grammar school boy officers and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, is, and, is, yeah, and is, that, even in the Jewel and the Crown, is, isn't sort of Merrick? He's a grammar school boy, not a public school yeah. boy, isn't he? And so, well, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because War, because War obviously loves the old order, but also thinks it's useless. Yeah. So he's got this. He's, he's sort of this, well, yes, he's, he's sort of caught between the the two, isn't he? He's totally hung up. Yeah, he doesn't like doesn't like what's what's new and on offer, and he doesn't like the old thing either. No. But 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 one of the things we talked about the other day was who's in the army. Yes. Because the right. So so. It, uh, uh, if it, you know, if you volunteer, you get to choose, right? Yeah. And the, uh, so the Royal Navy ends up massively oversubscribed, basically. Yeah. Why would with you? volunteers? Because why wouldn't you? And in the first world war, they have this problem as well. To the I honestly where... think that's where I'd have gone. I think I'd, I'd have opted well, I think, for that. Uh, well, I think you'd look. I think you'd look good looking out to see the pair of binos, big, big field know, glasses, saying big field glasses. Yeah. Very well. Saying. <laughs> Hardestan. Um, I can see you doing it, Jim. I think I'd have gone. I think I'd have gone. I think I'd have gone for the RAF myself. I, I mean, um, listen, I'd like to think I'd have been a Spitfire pilot, obviously, or firing a Typhoon. But <laughs> I just know that if I had gone down that route, I'd have killed myself in very quick order because I'm just a teeny bit slapdash. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't concentrate quite right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Oh, um, no. But basically, Whoops, but the point. So basically, so basically, <laughs> the navy, the navy, and what's it? You know, so the navy has kudos status, senior service, and really um, good establishment. Sharp Really sharp uniforms. The Royal family are all in the navy. Yeah. You know, all of you know have gone via the navy. So, so, so the navy's got that about it. The RAF is seen as classless and modern and really glamorous, right? So they don't have um, the the same old school tie officer selection. They, obviously, obviously, you know, it's Britain in the th- tw- in the thirties into the forties. So there's a drag in that direction, but they don't have that same problem. So the navy's hugely oversubscribed. The RAF, uh, the RAF's also got this sort of lingering thing that you know repairing hurricanes um is better than being in a slit trench right and it's really and let's face it most people that join the raf end up being ground crew not anywhere repairing hurricanes exactly 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 because the raf's you know um the colonel wants to put the the raf's just full of bloody blokes just lots and lots of blokes is what the colonel says about the raf just an awful lot of blokes Anyway, Talking of which, um, I called up with John Orloff last night, but that's another story. Ah, uh, it's another story. Anyway, so so you end up with this. So you so the army basically ends up with the people who don't want to join the dregs right. without yeah. being. Yep, yep. You know, yep. it's we, exactly the same in the US being, as well. Yeah, exactly. They, they they end up they end up with the people who the, 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 uh, and a conscription. They end up with the people who you know who who they get. So you've got this thing where everyone volunteers. So the army to is conscripted rather than volunteered. It tends to tends to yeah. skew in that direction. Yeah, yeah. there are volunteers, and obviously they're all the they're all the sort of the crazy people we've talked about. You know, the, the, uh, uh, over the last couple of years, you know, your your alpha your alpha level soldiers or the your commandos, your airborne. But basically, unless you're you know unless you're from a military family like an awful lot, an awful lot of the officers are, you know, um, uh, the, the, the sort of higher up officers, 
you know, the the the, the what? So the so the so <clears throat> you end up with people not in reserved occupations. So I um, mean, this is again, this is Alan Alan Allport's book. Absolutely amazing. This the wartime army was an army of shopkeepers, bricklayers, bank clerks, confectioners, bespoke tailors, accountants, school teachers, painters, undergraduates, and travelling salesmen. Men whose civilian skills were often highly respected and remunerated in the time of peace, but were poorly suited to the needs of war. Right. So by the end of August 1944, this is just amazing. By the end of August 1944, there were 152,000 former van and lorry drivers serving in the ranks of the British Army. 79,000 grocer's assistants. 51,000 decorators and paper hangers. 26,000 porters. 13,500 chauffeurs and taxi drivers. 12,000 insurance canvassers. 10,500 barbers and wig makers. 6,200 cinema projectionists <laughs> and ushers. Amazing. 2,030 artists were in khaki. So were 2,712 journalists and 1,482 actors. 225 novelists and poets had exchanged the pen for the sword. I mean, it... uh, that's amazing, isn't it? But you know, out of that, how many are going to be in the infantry? And how many are yeah. going to be driving in trucks and, yeah. um, you know, Bedford yeah. OYs in the. Um, and the Royal Army but Service Corps. He also makes the point that even though the RAF and the Navy took the pick of the choicest recruits, this is again, this is, I'm, I'm quoting directly here, even though they took the pick of the choicest recruits, wartime army volunteers and conscripts were still generally far better educated and more socially respectable than the regulars, more socially respectable backgrounds than the regulars. Because the regular army has always basically relied on, yep. um, you know, poverty recruiting. So essentially... Mm. Um, or certainly, and certainly between the wars, you know, because I remember talking to veterans who said they they joined the army in the thirties for the food, you know, because they knew <laughs> yeah, they'd get absolutely. fed. They'd get fed twice, you know, three times. A well, day. they wouldn't be just sort of living off bread and dripping, would they? Yeah, yeah. In and a then one in four in Bradford or somewhere. Exactly, and then one in four of them was over was age thirty or over. Yeah, because the army traditionally relied on nineteen-year-old semi-literate people, basically social from the social mar- margins. Yep. Some of them used to. Um, institutional discipline, you know, blah blah blah. Half of them were married, half, of, uh, you know, and many of them had young children. It, you know, this is the the people who who were called up. It's, I think it's it's absolutely amazing. Yes, yeah, fascinating. And you've got isn't this it? very very, and he goes, you know, so so you know, so you've got schoolmasters and bank clerks, and so a complete social of, mix uh, and mix of so, trades uh, and backgrounds social... and urban and it, rural and it, it is it's such a sort of yeah it's such a kind of it, it's, it's a proper kind of sort of um yeah yeah sort of mishmash isn't it of of, of different yeah. peoples it, of different people and and that you know no particular prof- profession um you know uh uh standing out just an absolute kaleidoscope of people yeah. from from Every single background possibly imaginable, because that's in the end, that's what conscription does. Yeah. Is it breaks? It breaks open. So it breaks. It breaks open the army as an institution. The army can't rely on all its old habits, and that's why I think when you get into it, the British Army, by you know, by the time we're talking about, it, it's full of people who are trying to figure out ways of doing this that aren't army ways of doing it. Well, you have to, but you also have to remember that the, the, the first world war and the second world war are the two times where we've had a large army. You know, we don't yeah. traditionally have a large army. We had quite a large army in no. the fifties and sixties, but the seventies. But 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 you know, traditionally Britain has always always had a small army because we're an island nation. You know, yeah. so, so that's why the well, navy is a senior service. 
Well, and because and because standing armies after the Civil War are seen as a bad thing. You know that that you 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 can't really yeah you you. you you can't afford them, and they're and they're a dangerous thing to have lying around because then you might use one. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, on, on yourself. Yeah, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I think I think it's really. I mean, it's it's absolutely fascinating. This and it and it obviously shows that you, you get this. You know, you, you what you see with the sh- with with your history of the Sherwood Rangers, this civilian influx into the army that yeah. means the army can't be the thing it it's used to being and has to take on other people's points of view and ways of dealing with stuff. Yeah. and that and and, and that goes again. The, the, that dealing with that goes right to the top, and that that informs also steel, not flesh, because of course you've got this, you've got the whole of society involved, rather than rather than Tommy Atkins, you know the the the, the Kipling idea, yeah, or or um, Wellington's scum of the earth. It changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, necessarily. Yeah, no, it absolutely. turns it into a great, it turns it into a great big social experiment as much as anything else. Well, yeah, and I mean you only have to look at the Sherwood Rangers and you think of sort of one of the one of the main guys I was writing about in in Brothers in Arms, Bill Wharton. You know, he was the son of a printer from Retford. Um, yeah. Joined the, the the Sherwood Rangers before the war um, as a trooper. Yeah, you know, gets commissioned in the field in 1942. Yeah, and, and yeah. absolutely steps yeah. up. You know. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. Anyway, so what were we going to talk about? Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> there's quite a lot to talk about, actually, because you also, I mean, you, you know, sticking with sticking with stuff that you've been d- looking at, um, yeah. we should also look at that, that amazing um, oh interactive maps that the Canadians have been producing, which is just oh fantastic, my God. isn't it? I mean, you, you've had a, look, yeah. a bit more of a look at it than I have, but, but the bit that I have looked at is absolutely stupendously good. Yeah, so we'll explain what it is. So it's basically someone has, someone has done, uh, uh, you know, one of those... Um, I think we've all seen those sort of moving maps which show the front lines moving and changing. It, you know, there's, there's, every now and again one goes around as a meme on on Twitter or whatever, which shows the Allies breaking out and the fillet's pocket and the, you know, swoop up the Great Swan, the swoop up, to, you know, and all that sort of yep. stuff. But what what this resource is is, and it's from it's a Canadian thing. They have got it's basically, and in fact, if you click on the wrong unit, which I did earlier, you end up in Italy, and they've they've done it for Italy as well. So you go to the other end of the continent. You zoom out far enough, Jim, and there yep. they are. There are the Canadians in Italy as well. So basically, what it is is you've got you've got oh yeah, a map look at that. With, with, yeah, exactly with the front exactly <laughs> with the front line, and you zoom in, and let's say you and it starts on D Day, starts on the sixth of June, and you press play, and it just runs and ticks along. But if you click on the War Diaries thing, so and choose a unit. So I've picked the Regiment de la Chaudière, who right. are a, um, a Canadian unit, and their battle diary is in French because of because they're one of the French Canadian outfits. <laughs> yeah. Of so course, seventh seventh yeah. seventh Ju- July nineteen forty four. Même position défensive. Um, uh, zero thirty hours. Le peloton de pionniers pose des mines devant les lignes de si de si a et b. So that's the the peloton of pioneers yeah um have put mines in front of the positions um of companies a and b and then new uh, nouvelle pet de personnel which i think assume means we've had our we've had some replacements yeah and and as you scroll down the battle diary the lines move and you see the battle of normandy play itself out there's a really brilliant bit when you flick from the night from the um you know seventh seventh eighth ninth of july and suddenly the tenth they're halfway they're across the odon they're halfway through Caen, and you see that you see that big drop. Yeah, yeah. But basically, you click on any unit, you get their battle, their battle diary. 
you click on there's a amazing. series of numbers that is amazing isn't it because as you, you're right as you move down the day so so i've just looked on as the you, north shore new brunswick regiment because i knew a yeah, guy called yeah. eldon roberts bob roberts he go. was the guy who witnessed the um the 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 French guy shooting his daughter because she was about shooting to, his yeah. daughter. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, he was yeah. he was the second man onto onto that part of the beach at Santa Barbara on on Juno Beach, and so you go and I've got I've clicked onto him on the 9th of July, and then yep. you, and then you so then you get the war diary on the right, and then you go yep. to to the 10th of July and it's moved. Eleventh of it's July. Absolutely amazing. So, it, so wow, this Cameron, is so good. Cameron Highlanders, Cameron Highlanders of Ottawa, Duke of Edinburgh's own. Right, tenth of July. Place Comb zero one four seven one two sheet S seven F one showers. So they've had showers. BHQ Battalion HQ. Notice to move to new location. Received from Division HQ Captain Jane Lambert. So every day's battle diary on the right hand side. You scroll down. There's a unit info. So that tells you who the who the Cameron Highlanders of Ottawa are? Yes. Um, uh, and and you know, link to the Wikipedia page if you want. But this is just the most amazing. This is the most amazing. It's brilliant, resource. isn't it? God, I hope they continue and, with and it and do all the units and all the British well, units I, and German and American and everything. Well, I don't know. I mean, I made a donation. Um, Good. Well, I think uh, I'm know, going to too. Tooled around on this for half an hour this morning. I thought, well, I better make a, a donation because because and what's also? I mean, the other thing is you scroll out. And you run the Normandy battle, you run the Normandy battle, you know, on autoplay or whatever. And what do we, what do we see? The preponderance of armour on the Allied left yes. flank. Yes. The colossal cracks going on. You see, you see that. You see the strategy. And I always think, you, you really do wonder to what extent the Germans understood they were playing into this strategy. Yeah, that that. To, to what yeah, extent yeah, they'd yeah. figured it, they'd figured out how they were being played. Because as you run it, you know, <clears> you can see that the, you can see that the the, the build-up of armor is around Caen, and you know, and, and to the to the west of Caen. But there's really nothing like it for the Americans to deal with. No, and it and it really just does look, you know, and obviously they're worried. The, the Germans are worried about a breakout on 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 their right flank, at the kind. But they but they, and as a result, they're not worried. They're not paying enough attention to where they're being sucked in you know have you seen when you close in you get photographs yeah yeah it's the most amazing resource <laughs> how cool is that yeah and you and they look at how concentrated the canadians are yeah, yeah and then when it comes to fillets how they um once the once things get to fillets how they're in that finger with the poles you you know you look at the map and it's it's a complete abundance of you know so yeah, yeah. uh so right at the front of it, so 22nd Armoured Regiment Canadian Grenadier Guards at Louv- uh, Louvier-en-Auge are right down the front. Yes. Um, uh, you know, yeah, look at them. I'm looking bat- at it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know, know. I know. And there's their battle diary. Well, OK. So it's where just- can you find this? This is map.project44.ca. So yeah. map. Map.project44.ca. And 44 is a number. Well, I, I, yeah, everyone should have a look at this. This is absolutely amazing. It's incredible. It? Yeah, yeah, brilliant. It's God, incredible. You just imagine if you if you put everyone else in, if you put all the British and American units in, just imagine. By the Canadian Research and Mapping Association. Well, yeah. listen, frankly, I, I think any anyone who's a member of a mapping association gets my my vote. <laughs> I'm obsessed. It's very that. interesting though. In that fi- in that finger, look, you can see. So yeah, you can yeah, see yeah. what's going on there. That their artillery's come up. So, 
So look at look at the um, look at the um, um, the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders of Camp Canada Princess Louisa's regiment. Yeah. Look at that finger. Yeah, yeah. But look, you see, you can see they brought their artillery up. Yes. Haven't they? Yeah. So um, uh, 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 so this is obviously like a lunge. This is a lunge forward, isn't it? Yeah, I was looking at the and the difference between the sixteenth and the seventeenth of August is absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. Look, look at that. that look at that. that. The way they punch forward like that. Yeah, that's and you can, insane. And, and, and that's why their artillery's come up. Where are they on the 18th? That's the, the that's 22nd, the 22nd. And it armored. broadens out the, uh, on the 18th. The 22nd Armoured Regiment, Canada Grenadier Guards. The Lincoln and Welland Regiment. God, Canadians have cool names for their regiments, don't they? They do, they do. They certainly do. Wow, and then move forward another I mean, one that's, to the eighteenth of, of August. That's yeah, exactly the eighteenth, and then the nineteenth, and that's the full. That's your full encirclement going on right there. Yeah, and there's Chambois. There's Chambois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, Absolutely isn't it? Amazing. Wow, what a what a what a thing. Yeah, there's re- and you go on a couple of days, and there's that bit where there's, um, uh, if you go to the, when is it? There we go. Yeah. Oh, I missed it. I think it's the twenty sixth. You look at the map. Yeah. Uh, where's that? I've just gone into the sixth. Uh, I'm going. I'm going into the eighth, ninth, eighth of February. Right. <laughs> look at look at the eighth of February. Go out on the eighth of February, 1945. Okay. Hang on. Look at that front line. This is either veritable, but, but, but go quite a long <laughs> way out and look at the different colours and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then look at the yeah. Reichsfeld. Wow, that is so good. Oh, this is just brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it really is yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is it? Is it? I mean, you know, modern technology and um, what you can do. And, and I've, I've, I really, you know, I had such an interesting conversation with Woody Woodage the other day. We were talking about sort of, you know, yeah. now that the, the veterans are going, that connection. You know, we, I was talking about yeah. my kind of, you know, when I first started and going to Malta with all the George Cross Island Association, all these, you know, we were having sundowners yeah. at the Paluna Hotel in Slima with all the veterans yeah. and stuff. And obviously every single person that I interviewed and talked to and got to know and became friends with for Malta has since gone. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and now Stan Perry's gone and... Yeah. Um, Actually, it's, it's it's his memorial on Monday, which so when this goes out, yeah. it'll be the day after his memorial service. Yeah. Um, you know, w- w- will will that mean that the whole generation just sort of starts to lose interest because that connection is not there? Uh, and I thought I thought on balance probably not actually. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, because I think th- there's different ways of accessing that information now, isn't there? Because I I still get a massive yeah. kick out of reading, you know, Bill Wharton's letters or looking at a diary or yeah. or something that kind of you know that that sort of the absolute kind of sort of direct link to someone's emotions on a particular day. Yeah. In a way, yeah. that's even more exciting than meeting a veteran 70 years later because yeah. it's well, right yes, in the moment. It's right in the moment. And they haven't, I mean, because, because after all, an awful, an awful lot of um, veterans end up with their, with the tales they I mean, trot out is wrong, but you know what I mean? Yes, the, yes, the, yeah, I do. The, that, yeah. the standard stories they have right. for you, you know, that, 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 fit a certain way of telling a story yes but this um, but things that resources yeah. like this also just massively augment everything don't they i mean you know say you're following a diary yeah of a canadian soldier you've got a diary you know it's like a written diary published or it's unpublished or whatever you're reading that and then you're marrying that up with this yeah which is sort of what you know what i do when i'm doing my books and stuff but 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 not quite as vividly as you know not not in sort of you know 
Yeah. I have to piece together lots of maps and kind of work it all out and get out yeah. war diaries and spread it all right, over my desk. And here it is right here. And here yeah. it all is. You know, I mean, that's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? So so our understanding is, is constantly being heightened, isn't it? Yeah. And that, for me, keeps it all really exciting. Because, yeah, 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 because yeah. there's still so much to unfold and, and to understand about what was going on, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Well, and when you look at... I mean, you look at that front line on the 8th of February... The sheer bloody size of the thing. No wonder it's slow going. Just well, the, the yes, sheer scale yes, of yes, the yes, battlefield. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I had a I had a very interesting conversation with John Buckley yesterday. I was well, let's about, save that for after yeah, yeah, the break. Yeah, it's break time, isn't it? <laughs> we will be back in a second when James will tell us all about his very interesting conversation with John Buckley. We'll see you in a tick. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, where we are approaching our 400th episode of uh, Kriegwaffel, as they call it. Um, uh, Kriegwaffel in uh, Germany, I believe. <laughs> Kriegwaffel. <laughs> Kriegwaffel. Um, so you were talking to, John Bu- yes. talking to John Buckley. Now, those who don't know, John Buckley is a, um, one of... Well, he's one of a, he's a, one a of first, our academic history uh, history heroes, well, uh, isn't academic, he? Yeah, exactly. Um, I wrote a brilliant book called Monty's Men about 21st Army Group and, 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 and the the you know the British way of war in the last year of the war and the campaign from Normandy to the Baltic, um, which I think is um, uh, I, I would say a must read these days. But anyway, go on, Jim. You were talking to John Buckley. So yeah, so I had a day with a uh, with a grizzly actually, which was very nice. Which is a German uh, with a German a Canadian built um, yeah. Sherman tank, molded molded right, hull yeah. rather than kind of panel. Yes, it's round round round, round molded hull. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. and a, a fine example it was done done up in Eleventh um, Armoured Division. Um, Oh. Made by the Toronto Locomotive Company, and again, yeah. I was just thinking, crikey, all these resources, all these, you know, all these these companies that pre-war have been making sort of really big plant, um, yeah. you know, whether steam locomotives or automobiles or whatever, now sort of turning over to producing producing tanks in large numbers. Had a radial, yeah. um, had a, a nine-cylinder radial um, aero engine in it, you know, right. Uh, and it was a fine example. It was it was it was terrific. But anyway, I was talking to I was talking to him about what we've been discussing about pattern and you know the operational art and all this kind of stuff and uh, and and then about the broad front policy. And I was saying you know we were talking about the fact that aftermarket garden you know what else is what else can you do but do yeah. the broad front attritional approach because there is no alternative because you've got to get through the seafood line you've got to get across all these these mirrors. And he was um, yeah, yeah. and he was rather agreeing you know um, which was nice and. Um, uh, and then we got talking about, you know, the geography of it and, and you know, endless forests and hills and rivers yeah. and, you know, none of which is easy to get through. And the, and the difficulties of the campaigning season and, the you know, the awfulness of the winter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And I was also asking about Hodges and I was saying, well, yeah, what do you think? Do you think, do you think Hodges was as bad as everyone makes out? And he said, well, no, of course not, because you, you don't become an army commander if you're rubbish. Yeah. You know, there's a certain, you know, you can get, get certain... You know, he might not have been the best, and he certainly wasn't the most inspiring. And there's a, a sort of, you know, he's a bit jobbing and all the rest of it. But 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 you know, he doesn't have the flair of of a Simpson or a Patton or something like that. But he's saying, you know, he didn't think he was he was as bad as everyone as everyone. But makes I think there's out. a lot to be said for there's a lot to be said for a jobbing general. Well, said for a jobbing general in, in those circumstances, you know. You know and, and and I suppose his point was his point really was was, was there was only so much that you can do. In those circumstances, when yeah. 
the conditions are against you, the light is against you, the geography is against you. You know, it is it is incredibly hard to attack. You know, and the, yeah. there is a reason, of course, why the German border is where it is. Because yeah. there's a, it's, great, it's a border. Because it's a natural border. Yeah. You know, that's and, and that's where it goes back back to kind of, you know, time immemorial is where is why yeah. those borders have developed in the way that they have is because it, they're they're an obvious border. Yeah. And that's what makes yeah. it difficult. Well, and, and, and no matter how much the Seafried line, you know, Westwall. You know, yeah, exactly. No matter no matter how much tech or mechanization or petrol or, you know, air power you've got, there's still great big bloody forests, enormous rivers, great you know, the, vast the open that, spaces of mud. Exactly, the things the Romans had to contend with, you know, right. for instance. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I've also been reading, uh, you know, so so um, I think we can announce this, can't we? We're, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're, yeah. we're trying to publish, republish some, some a handful of old uh, books that have been long out of print. And we're going to, yeah. the, the, the design for them is, is really, it's really classy, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, we're giving them a kind of sort of pretty upmarket sort of good look. And anyway, one, one yeah. of the first three books we're doing is um, Eclipse by Alan Moorhead. Now, Alan Moorhead is, is an Australian yeah. journalist, war, war correspondent, um, who wrote um, a trilogy of books about the Desert War, wrote for the Daily Express. And back in those days, in the Second World War, the Daily Express was really, really good. It was, it was, it was still, it, it was a broadsheet. They were all broadsheets in those days. Yeah. Um, but, but it was... Was it the biggest paper in the country? Yeah, yeah, absolutely was. And, and it is, I mean, I've read loads and loads of sort of um, wartime issues of the, of the Daily Express. And it's really, it's a really, really good paper. Yeah. And he was a star yeah. writer and, and one of that kind of sort of new breed that was sort of bringing in the human experience of war and all the rest of it. Yeah. But anyway, he wrote, he had published Eclipse, which was his sort of observations of, of the kind of, you know, from Sicily onwards to the end of the war in, in Europe. And fascinating yeah. it is too, because it was published in 1945. So he's a guy who's kind of, you know, he he he's witnessing general generals doing press conferences and briefings and all this kind of stuff. So he's very well informed, but he's still kind of you know, just a yeah. a grunt really. Yeah. So it's his perspective, and of course he doesn't know any of the kind of secret documents. He doesn't know about ultra. He doesn't know about what's going on in the shadows and the background and all the rest of it. So it's just his yeah. observations of what he's seen, and he does this yeah. brilliant bit where he's going. He says. Let us just for a moment look at things from the German side. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, w w what are they trying to do in 1943 and 1944? And, and what could they have done differently? And this has made me kind of think about it in the last couple of days about, about what they could have, what, 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 you know, in, in the spring of 1944, w what are they trying to do? What do you think that, what do you think their kind of, their, their plan is? I mean, hang in there, what, wait, the for the, wait for the V weapons. <laughs> And all the rest of it, but 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 how do you put a spin on? You know what what could they have done that they didn't do? Oh, it's nothing. I mean, the the, the, the what are the Germans trying to do? Uh, they're, they're hoping something. They're, they're um, they're hoping something will turn up, aren't they? They're, they're hoping something will turn up. They're hoping you know, that their 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 weapons program will kind of turn the tide. They're hoping they'll be able to kick the Allied invasion back into the sea. They're they're hoping that they're hoping that Stalin might go. You know what? Ain't worth it. Let's do a deal. That the Americans will. Go, do you know what? I'm fed up of Europe. We're going to concentrate in the Pacific. I mean, the, the, I think the Stalin thing is the thing they're really that, that they're really hanging on for, isn't it? Because they have done a deal with him before, so th there's a, there's at least track record there, isn't there? That 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 you know, yeah. So maybe that maybe that because may, after all, I mean, this is always the thing. This is always the thing, isn't it? Is is that? Uh, uh, and uh, I've been sort of wondering about this a lot it's all very well saying the allies thanks to ultra knew exactly what the germans were doing you're fine you, you 
and also that's not true. Yeah. It's not quite right. Well, because it doesn't right? take into account that they might change their minds. Exactly. But what, but what no one has ever, what, what the Allies don't have is an actual apprehension of why the Germans are doing, why the Germans are doing what they're doing. And therefore, and therefore what, arguably what they're there, what they might be doing, what, what they might do next or what they might be aiming at. Okay, well, let me just read this out. It goes, he goes. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, do you know I what do. I mean? There's this sort of misapp- complete misapprehension. Yeah, of course. So he goes, he goes. It was arguable in Berlin in the late winter of 1943 that if the Anglo-American invasion could be repelled, then the chances of stalemate were certain and even the prospects of victory might grow bright again. Roosevelt might lose his election. Americans might grow tired of the European war and turn to the Pacific. The American people were more interested in that anyway. Least lend to Russia and Britain might dwindle. America might abandon Europe to her own mess. England was very tired. The flying bomb and the rocket were being secretly prepared, and there was some prospect that they might render southern England uninhabitable. And while Goebbels presented a version of this optimism on the radio, the German high command laid its plans. Hold in the east, throw back the invasion in the west, then turn back for a decisive battle with the Russians. I guess that's probably well, that's probably pretty much it, isn't it? That's the extent of it. And then, yep. but, but then once the... I mean, why do they keep 300,000 troops in Norway? I mean, what would they have done? 300,000 troops? What would that have done to the Western Front? Well, I mean, Front? made it made it much... Well, uh, much harder grinding. I mean, if nothing else. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I mean that, it's that's an insane decision, isn't it? Leaving one of there? the imponderables, isn't it? And it, and, it, and, and, and I suppose, well, you know, I suppose... I mean, that's interesting, me having said that, they, you know, the Allies... The Allies uh, kind of misreading the Germans one way. They they read them right on that, don't they? They read the Germans right on let's let that let's make them preoccupied with Norway. That'll work, and it works. Yeah, yeah. But so, I mean, but but what could they possibly? What what could the Allies have possibly done in Norway that would have that you know that that, that surely the benefits of. Of of moving three hundred thousand troops from Norway plus all their resources to Europe yeah. or the Eastern Front would have been of greater benefit to the longevity of the Germans' war effort than keeping them there. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, say you leave a hundred thousand there, you know that that's still a that's still an extremely tough nut to crack, isn't it? Yeah. If you're the Allies. Yeah. Or yeah, I mean, if you. Let, let's say you leave a hundred thousand, you know. And given the Allies have also that they they know exactly how difficult it is to fight in Norway, so they they don't bother. Well, the other problem is, they, is the other thing is, is that then once in Norway, you don't you don't have the problems of getting stuff to Norway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, do you remember I, I I went to that to see that naval gun up in the Arctic Circle, kind of north of yeah. Narvik. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I can't remember when that was built. Let's say for argument's sake, it was nineteen forty-two. Or forty-three, but it was mainly made with using Russian slave labour. Yeah, yeah. But but the effort and cost of getting the material to make that gun emplacement at that spot was just enormous. Yeah, and it never once fired in anger. Yeah, I mean, what yeah. a waste of time! It just confirms I mean, what it... I've always thought that the Germans kind of constantly just sort of shoot themselves in the foot. You know, thank goodness, but. Well, because they're, because because they're led by Hitler, you know they're living in this they're living in a fantasy, fantasy realm, world. aren't they? Yeah, yeah fantasy world. Right, yeah, where what you need where what you need in Norway is a great big gun that you're never going to use. You know, it, it, yeah, and lots of, and not sort of, just one, but a number. Well, because very often they're sort of planning for when it's over, aren't they? Yeah, um, and not actually dealing with the dealing with the here and now yeah. in, in lots of ways. You know, I mean, you I mean you you see that in Hitler looking at his 
plans for um for Germania and uh, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and for Lentz, and you know, you, you see that exactly. You see all that with you know. There's that very famous picture of him looking at the looking at the models, isn't yes. there? In sort of in in early '45. Um, and they're, they're, they're planning for after. I mean, I think you know because I've just read Volker Ulrich's um, Eight Days in May, which is the which is the which is about the last eight days of the war in Germany. So the, from the Dönitz government's point of view, right? And it's just sort of you know there is, is no Reich. Oh, it's really really good. It's really really good. There is, I mean, there is no Reich for Dönitz to be in charge of. By the time you know the, the British have got to the Baltic, the Americans have got to. Frankfurt, Czechoslovakia, or in, you know, into Prague, yeah. and the you, you know what I mean, and the, and the Soviets in Berlin. There is no Reich; it's a rump. And and the way the Dönitz government carry on as though, well, once the fighting's over, we're we're the people with legitimacy. It's yes, absolutely amazing. Absolutely it? amazing. Yeah. Completely hairbrained, and they all they all rock up and go, you know, and you've got people responsible for all sorts of appalling um, atrocities rocking up and going. Well, you know, it's not a credible government without me involved. Yeah. And the allies, and they, but they also know perfectly well that the allies, the allies are saying, "Well, we're not, de- we aren't dealing with you. We'll deal with the, we'll deal with the generals and and take their surrender, but we're not dealing with, we're not dealing with Dönitz. And it's it's just really, really interesting. The sort of, um, again, the, the the fantasy bubble carries on beyond Hitler. I think is quite is quite interesting because we tend to associate it with him primarily. That no, it, they've it, all it, they've all they've all bought into this la la land, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the senior commanders yeah. as well. Yeah, just yeah. extraordinary. I mean, I, it's quite incredible, really, that that Donitz doesn't doesn't hang and all that sort of thing. I mean, it's very very interesting uh, that the the sort of immediate unraveling of uh, of of the Donitz government and then what happens to the protagonists in it. But anyway, I mean, it's there's that really amazing picture of them all gathered together, you know, and going and everything on the on the door uh, uh, outside the the hall where they where they're trying to form a government, look really looking like. You know, um, gangsters on a last hurrah, and you know. Anyway, uh, what, so many books to read, ladies and gentlemen. I think you know what we did. We said we we're going to answer some questions. And we haven't answered and we one. Haven't. Yeah, and I've got to go off my flea jack now. <laughs> I've got, I've got to, I've got preparations to make um, because we're recording this on the fifth of November. Um, and uh, we have a major offensive starting in West London this evening. A whole new weapons programme. We have ways V3, as we call it, will be launched around about probably 8pm this evening. We're expecting the yeah. good folk of Hammersmith to yeah, launch no, a Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. It's, I'm looking forward to that. We're, so we're having a little party. More Kyushkin than VT, you reckon. But, oh, absolutely, nice. absolutely, yeah. So, Very um, good. And and don't miss our Remembrance Day special on Thursday. Pocket show, do popachenya, as our... Ukrainians' pro- friends probably don't say. Um, that's bye bye. <laughs> Cheerio. From you, for all of us. Cheerio. Bye bye. Bye bye.